0: Hello and welcome to the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, brought to you by the team behind radiotimes.com. welcome to this week's podcast. As ever, my name's Hugh. And my name is Morgan. And we are very glad to finally be able to close our eyes. As I said, I promised at the end of last week's episode that we wouldn't blink for the next week. And I'm a man of my word. So yeah, it's been hellish. So didn't really contribute, didn't contribute in any way to our Doctor Who chat. But you know what, you know what, we stick to our guns here on the Radio Times Doctor Who podcast, and so we haven't blunk for quite some time. Uh, yeah, obviously that's because the Weeping Angels are back. Uh, we will be talking all about that uh, later on in our review of Village of the Angels, uh, Doctor Who Flux, Chapter 4. Uh, but before that, we've got a couple of bits to get through. Uh As with every week, we're kicking off with who news, Uh, and this week we have some pretty interesting news. If you're a fan of very non-specific detail, Uh, Morgan, I don't know if you can fill us in.
1: Yes, so uh, the BBC uh, this week confirmed plans, uh, well, sort of, for their uh, centenary, (laughs) uh, which which falls uh, towards the end of uh, of next year, twenty twenty two, and part of that, as, as we already knew, is going to be a Doctor Who centenary special, which which will also uh, mark Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall's uh, departure from the series. So as part of that, we got our first details about Jodie Whittaker's final ever episode and indeed Chris Chibnall's. Uh, So we've got a synopsis. Um... It doesn't give a, a, hu- a huge amount away, if I'm honest. So so it goes like this. Um, the epic blockbuster special will see the Doctor fight evil across the galaxy one last time. But just who will she come up against in her final battle before the Doctor regenerates once more? When you first hear it, you're kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, yeah, here's a
0: description of the episode. I mean, you read it again, you're like, is this like literally like what you'd get a robot to write of any do- episode of Doctor?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah.
0: The a- Doctor will fight somebody before she later regenerates and she will save the universe uh, for some reason. But who will she save it against? And it's like, oh, it's a mystery. And they're like, no, we're just not saying who it is.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like that one of those um, things where you, you know you get a bot to write a Doctor Who uh, episode synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> but it is it is our technically our first information, uh, scant as it may be, um, about Jodie's final episode. So so still very exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm interested. I'm looking forward to it. It's nice to kind of see it confirmed. There was also a new image. Uh, released with that of the doctor just standing in a room in some lights which looks very similar to other images released for series 13 so nobody really noticed but it was a new image if you know but now we're spoiled for doctor who images so we don't really notice that as much um yeah no i'm excited to see that i'm i'm excited you know new year's day coming up soon the spring special weirdly is the one i'm most interested in because that's the one we know the least about and how it fits into everything but um yeah before all that though obviously there's still doctor who flux and this week we also learned i think unless we spoke up this last week apologies if we did uh, I think this week we learned uh, the title of the final episode, The Vanquishers, which is quite uh, exciting. Um, I imagine that's some sort of counterpart to The Ravagers, that's my guess, because it sort of sounds similar, right? I
1: mean, doc- the Doctor and-, and Dan and Yaz and Jericho are going to form some sort of Avengers-type team, The Vanquishers, yeah, oh, yeah. to take The Vanquishers, yeah. oh yeah. That's very
0: Doctor Mysterio, actually, isn't it? It's like the sort of fake like superhero that would be in doctor who
1: the vanquishers do you know what it puts me in mind of and it's probably just a complete coincidence but it sounds a bit like an old uh william hartnell episode title like you know like key, key keys yes. of marinus episode six the vanquishers it sounds it sounds a little bit like that so yeah i like it
0: hey yeah uh. I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, So that was Who News. (laughs) Those two things. Um, Because we will, in future episodes, probably have more Who News uh, or longer sections. But when we have stuff to review, we kind of just want to get on with it. But before we do that, uh, we have a very special interview this week. We spoke to Annabelle Sholey, who you will recognize from playing Claire in this week's episode and obviously in the Halloween apocalypse as well um so we spoke to Annabelle after watching um the first episode uh, sorry after watching this new episode and yeah basically she gave us the kind of behind the scenes scoop on filming with weeping angels and that big twist at the end and all those scary moments uh, and how she got involved in the first place uh, so here she is now How did this sort of all start for you? How did you get involved? Was it quite a sort of traditional audition process or were you approached?
2: I was approached, which was absolutely lovely. Um, Chris sent me an email um, because he'd seen uh, Salisbury Poisonings and The Split that had just luckily come out and he he liked them. I don't know how he got from my character in the Salisbury Poisonings to this, but I'm um, I'm very happy that he did. And yeah, he just asked if I'd like to to play it she wasn't called Claire at the time I forget what she was called she had a different name um I didn't really know much about it but I just thought I definitely have to do this and I'm mates with Jodie um we did a play together we played sisters at the national so I'm, I'm already mates with her and I just had the best time working with her and and frankly it was mid lockdown it was last uh, December when I got approached and the idea of going and Doing, having fun doing that with Jodie I thought yes please I will I'll do that.
0: <laughs> I mean I guess it's easier because I've spoken to a few cast and they've said obviously the usual kind of socialising bonding things this year weren't possible because of everyone had to be very careful so the fact yeah. that you kind of already had that shorthand with Jody must have yeah. been so helpful.
2: It was it was I mean it was just a joy to see her because you know you haven't didn't get to see many friends So I was legally allowed to see her. Um, And and she's just she's I mean, everybody says this about her, so it must be true. But she just is the most joyful person to be around. She's such a laugh. And um, and actually, Kevin as well. Absolutely loved working with Kevin. He's very funny. And the three of us bonded. Um, So, yeah. And also, you know, it's a great show. Everybody acts. Every actor wants to come and do a guest on doctor Who. it's sort of a rite of passage so i was i was really chuffed when when i got the email
0: obviously you said you found out about this last december or that's when you started i mean did you have Mm. to keep it secret secret for a really long time
2: yeah yes there's a lot of secrecy there were a lot signing of forms and um yeah not allowed to say very much Um, you know nobody was allowed to speak about the new doctor It wasn't even, it was kind of a, is there going to be a new Doctor? We can't even, we can't even say that. It was very, it's top secret, which I think is really fun, actually. I think it's great. The the fans are so enthusiastic. It's, I mean, already the amount of new Twitter followers that just popped up after the first episode. I was like, wow, this is, this is mad. This is, it's an incredible fan base.
0: When you say, um, do you mean that you weren't supposed to talk about the fact that obviously Jodie's leaving wasn't announced at that point?
2: Yeah, well, we didn't know for certain. I mean, and she didn't even really ever properly say that to me because she wasn't allowed. Um, I sort of figured she probably was, but it wasn't ever said um, because even Jodie wasn't allowed to, to say anything about it Um and she didn't know very much about well, she didn't know who was taking over. I don't even think she knows now. I'm not sure she does. Maybe she doesn't. She's lying. <laughs> but it's mysterious. The whole thing, which is. Great. Had, awesome.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think she's had that practice at keeping secrets for much longer than anybody.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, obviously, in this episode, uh, Weeping Angels episode teased a bit in episode one. You probably more than any other character this series are being menaced by weeping angels all the time. We saw it in the first yeah. episode, and again in this. I mean, what's it like in reality? Is it difficult to kind of keep up that level of fear because you see them, you know, it cuts, they go and get their lunch or whatever, you see them take the masks off. or is it well, are they actually that scary in person?
2: i the the scene the sequence I shot uh, that you've already seen in episode one was with a statue. Um, mm. not one of the artists and it was the middle of the night in Cardiff and I turned up to start shooting and that statue was in the middle of the derelict street and it was terrifying I mean it's I mean I'm quite easily spooked and I, I'm not a mad horror fan um, so I didn't I mean I, I find it quite frightening the fact that you can see them now in Victorian cemeteries um, they are quite they're frightening. They are. Mm. There's something very, very simple and frightening about them. But um, as for them going off and having their lunch, they didn't really. I mean, they are in those masks. The wow. poor um, actress who had to stand on the beach. She was incredible. She was so still in takes and it was so cold. But she just did the most amazing job of being completely statue still. Um so that was I mean I don't know whether I was scared that day I was so cold um and I was a little bit worried about her <laughs> but um it's not easy to it, sorry it's not difficult to find the fear because I, I think that they are the, the gothic angel is just so terrifying more so than the aliens for me I think it's a really it goes back to the traditional ghost story doesn't it and that for me is more frightening than monsters I think
0: I think they're really scary in this episode as well, because they're so relentless, you know, like, you know, the the classic thing is don't blink, you know, and you'll be okay. I mean, it's difficult not to. But then in this, you know, even if you don't blink, they've got this other thing they're going to do. They're going to come over here and do this. They're going to come up through the fireplace, you know, like it's just it's sort of you sort of realize they're just going to get you no matter what. And that's really scary.
2: Exactly. And then the the, the mirror shot that I had to do Mm. where I that the wings are behind me. That was absolutely terrifying, and again, the middle of the night, and and I'm looking up, I'm like, oh my god, this is, <laughs> it is, yeah. And they won't, the, the ringing of the doorbell, they are get, they are penetrating wherever you are. There is no escape, and it, yeah, it is scary.
0: The episode ends in this sort of really creepy, I think instantly iconic way. Uh, you know, the doctor's fate. I mean, have you seen that? Um, did you, have you seen what happens um, in you know the finished version? Because I assume there was CG seen involved. It.
2: No, I haven't seen it. I obviously I saw it on the day, but um, but no, I haven't seen the end. So yeah, it was quite shocking to read that because I was like, hang on a minute. Wait, she can't die. That's, <laughs> that's so I've no idea. I've no idea. I have, no idea. I have to, I've been watching the series and um I think it's fantastic.
0: That's also a scene where you're like surrounded by weeping angels. Like it's real moment. They're just everywhere, like all over yeah. the place. I mean, in reality, was it like there were like two and then they've added a load more in, or were there quite
2: a lot of them there? uh they've added them in yeah okay. see I didn't even know that yeah no there were there were a few there were quite a few and I was on a rock I was I did have to rock climb onto the, <laughs> the rock and um in heels I may add um slippy slippy surface um and there were about four or five I think but no I haven't seen I haven't seen the full thing so that's exciting
0: well we won't tell health and safety about uh, about the rock climbing.
2: no no it was all very safe I was very safe <laughs>
0: Thank you, Annabelle. That was a really fun interview. Um, Only a short section of it there. But yeah, we'll have more from that on radiotimes.com in the coming days, I hope. Uh, But yeah, so I am going to try and not repeat myself from that interview. I can't quite remember all the things I said that I liked, but we're heading into our review of Village of the Angels, so I probably will reiterate stuff so Morgan and I unusually haven't spoken about this episode before recording the podcast normally we have a bit of a chat but we didn't have time this week so I have no idea what Morgan's response is so I don't know whether to say mine and then you say yours because I you know I don't want you to use but I thought it was really good
1: Let, let's do that okay so you don't I know I know what you think about this episode you don't know what I think about this episode but I am relieved to say that we are in unison which I think we, the, okay the, good the, <laughs> the past two weeks you know it's been like oh you liked one slightly more and I liked it slightly less and but no I think 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 this is the first episode um of of flux that we are totally we totally chime on and to be honest i can't imagine it's gonna be i know last week's once upon time we both liked it a lot of people didn't it was quite a divisive episode and i can see why this one feels to me like it's really gonna be a a, a crowd pleaser i can't imagine it it feels like it ticks a lot of those traditional doctor who boxes i can't imagine many people will um even people who aren't necessarily a fan of this era of Doctor Who, I can't see I can't see them having many complaints. It it's blinking marvelous. I I I'd go so far as to say hey. there you go. Been saving up that one. No, I, I thought I thought it was a really I thought it was a really great episode. Um, it's it, it plays into a lot of what I like about Doctor Who. It was it was spooky. Uh, some really great uh, guest performances. I thought, and funnily enough, going back to what we were talking about, I think uh either 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 last week or the week before talking about um. Uh, monsters being overused, and you know people saying, "Oh, here, here are the Weeping Angels again," even though actually they've not been used that much in Doctor Who. What I liked about this episode is it it did evolve the Weeping Angels mythology, and it used them in really like smart. Uh, innovative ways. It kind of put, put some interesting new twists on, on the Weeping Angels and it gave us great quotes like, you know, last week we had uh, the angel has the TARDIS and this week we had there are angels in the walls. I love, I love stuff like that. Oh, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just a big thumbs up.
0: Yeah, big thumbs up for me as well. The Angels, we'll talk about the episode in general. The Angels specifically, I was really interested in this episode by how much clearly, I mean, obviously it's co-written by Chris Chibnall and Maxine Alderton and you never know who's done what, but it seems like at least one of them has been watching um, The Time of Angels slash flesh and stone mm. pretty in-depth. I was interested to see a lot of the rules that were kind of established in that, which was the second Weeping Angels appearance coming back. Like, the image of an angel becomes an angel. The thing where it gets in the eye and the dust coming out and all that. And, like, that stuff is was introduced to kind of, as you say, expand the Weeping Angels law back in 2010. And actually, it isn't something that I think people have talked about much since. Like they haven't appeared in the show much since, to be fair. But we haven't really seen that whole image of an angel thing and it's used so well here in so many different ways it's not just we'd seen you know uh images on tv screens come alive and stuff before uh a, a picture coming alive really cool it c- going on the on the polygraph
1: the, the polygraph the needle sort of, i love that that was so good and then of course the image within claire's mind because she's a, a yeah. you know, sort of a seer a psychic and so that then it it it, it um because you know it becomes solidified or however you want to say it, within her it takes you know takes hold within her mind i thought that was a really clever twist i did wonder though on that that whole premise of uh, an image of an angel can also be an angel how good does the drawing have to be because 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 claire's <laughs> claire's sketches of the tardis and the angel she's she's actually quite talented like if i were to have a go and do like a little angel stick figure would that then come to life i don't know how sort of accurate it has to be for it to work
0: I hope it would look like that as well, yeah. just with like a little sticky... <laughs> Do you know arms, what? Like, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: I was going was, I was to say that could be really <laughs> effective and scary, but actually it's probably a little, a little to fear her, um, which is an episode I quite like, oh, but, yeah. but isn't hugely popular. So maybe let's not go down that route.
0: I love the bit where they also, where they set the fire... Uh, to the picture of the Mm. angel. And then it becomes a flare. And it's like, well, that made it much worse. But that sort of, I thought that was just a really cool idea. I think it was just a lot of cool ideas in this for how to use the Weeping Angels. And the thing I was saying um, to Annabelle, so apologies if I'm repeating myself, um, or maybe we cut that bit out, who knows, was just that I I think that one of the interesting things about it is with the Weeping Angels, there's a really clear like rule, which is if you look at them and you don't blink, they can't move. So that is part of the fear of them. But I think what made them really scary in this episode was that that's not enough. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like they're insidious. If you stop them this way, they'll come in another way. If you like are able to get this screen, they'll trick you over here. And like you, if you look at them for too long, then that's not going to work either. It's basically just like not possible <laughs> to escape them entirely. And I really, really like that because it makes them a real threat. It's not as simple as if you stare at them, but you'll you'll be fine. Mm. Like I kind of like the detail that if you just happen to touch them yourself, you'd be sent back in time you know that was kind of a new detail i think because i'd always wondered you know i'd always you know if i was facing weeping angel to kind of puncture the attention i always felt like i'd sort of poke it on the nose <laughs> or something just to kind of like yeah you know make myself a bit less scared just yeah. sort of, but that wouldn't be good that wouldn't work for me
1: correct me if i'm wrong but is this the first time it's been established what happens if a weeping angel touches you twice because i was wondering about that watching the episode and thinking you know what did they just send you further back but no i, I think at the very least this is the first time you actually see what happens right um
0: i think that's a slight plot hole because (laughs) uh, in The Angels Take Manhattan, it's implied that, you know, Rory Mm. is stuck there for, is sent back quite a few times. Um, so they yeah. kind of use in in that episode they they make a farm of people and they send them back over and over again. So that doesn't quite line up. But maybe it's different if like it's that quick. To you could make up a reason for why it's that. We have seen people sent back more than once before, right. but like only in that episode in really specific conditions. And also like it wasn't like they got sent back and then immediately sent back. And it was like they were sent back, lived for another like however many years, and then were sent back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just kind of.
1: Plus it's it's Rory. You can't kill Rory. He's yeah. You know, he just keeps coming back. So maybe that you know he got. Uh, give, exactly, give some leeway so, for
0: that. that's true he's literally invincible yeah. they kept trying yeah <laughs> uh, and it didn't work incidentally not to not to jump around too much but that little girl was ice cold you know yeah. when her her granddaughter he was never nice to me it's like <laughs> jesus like watch out for her great <laughs> like, though and, and
1: and i didn't see the twist coming i always like it when i don't see it oh, with coming. penelope
0: and mcgee whereas she was the older version yeah
1: where where, where mrs hayward is is, is peggy like, i didn't i didn't see that yeah coming that was
0: cool yeah I do wonder, like we've said before, like whether this episode had a pre-existing version before um, the flux of it all. Uh, and I do think you can see the kind of outline of that a little bit, like with Peggy and, you know, uh, whatever the... What was her name? Pen- Penelope Amagee's McGee's character? Uh, Mrs. Hayward. Mrs. Hayward, yeah. You kind of see maybe shades of what it would have been. But I think the nice thing about it is that it kind of... It stands alone as an episode and then also ties into the wider story. Like, actually, I would say because I know that was sort of the point of War of the Sontarans as well. I think this one worked better as a standalone. Mm, I'd agree. Partially because weirdly it had slightly less flux stuff going on in terms of swarm and azure and passengers and all that obviously you had bell and vinda in the subplot but that was quite accessible it was just you know bell helping people out and then the thing that happens at the end is all about the division which is again another interested party in the whole flux thing which is kind of i don't know it felt quite manageable mm. sorry i feel like we're kind of jumping around and going around the houses it's just there was a, quite a lot in this episode but i i, I really liked it i think the performances were really good. Yeah. I thought Jody Whitaker was very good at it. I thought Kevin McNally was awesome.
1: Yeah, incredible. And, and and I think Jericho is such a great character. So Kevin McNally's fantastic, but the way he's he's Funnily enough, you know, we, we've, and I know, uh, you know, we know now that Jericho is going to um, continue to appear um, in, in future yeah. episodes. We know he's in the in the finale. Um, and we said, yeah, actually, it's great to be able to have these characters around for a little longer and develop them. That being said, I think even just in this one episode, you get a real sense of who he is. The way we kind of like Definitely. touch on his, his his backstory and the things that kind of haunt him and it, just in that one scene where he's kind of facing off against the weeping angel that has his voice, you get a, re- a real um, concise burst of kind of like his backstory and you just you buy into that character 100%. I
0: like that bit where he's with on the stairs and he goes, "You are observed. That is my power over you." Yeah,
1: Jericho's so cool. <laughs> yeah, like I'd watch, I'd watch a yeah. spin, I'd watch a spin-off with him. Plus, he's called Jericho, which is just a cool name. Like, can we? Yeah, Eustasius Jericho. Oh, so cool. Let's start. Let's start the campaign here. I think for for a, a Kevin McNally spin-off, I'd I'd hundred percent watch that. Yeah, just
0: doing psychic experiments and yeah. shouting at aliens. Yeah, I think that's come on. That's all we want. <laughs> but you know, I thought he was really good. I thought um, Annabelle Shirley was very good Fantastic. as Claire and. And as the Weeping Angel, we should say. She sort of plays both. Um, I thought, you know, Yaz and Dan kind of got sent away <laughs> in classic, uh, you know, this era companion fashion. They got sent somewhere else. But, you know, I thought their storyline worked quite well. It's quite creepy with the abandoned village and so on. Um, but, yeah, I think, obviously, the kind of meat of this episode and the bit that I think people are really going to remember is, A, you know, the Doctor, Jericho and Claire in that basement. The angels coming in from all sides. Basement under All that siege. stuff happening. yeah. Yeah, that. And then B, that ending, because Ooh. I think that is such a good twist ending. We spoke about that a little bit with Annabelle there, but I thought it was really good because the interesting thing about the Weeping Angels is in the very first episode you see them, the Doctor says, they're the only creatures to kill you kindly. And the thing is, actually, even though what they do is, it's more their appearance at scale, what they do is actually they zap you back in time, so you're still alive. But in this, they just make them, and they have in other episodes as well, they're so cruel. Do you know what I mean? They're so like horrible. And then the fact that there was almost one who was maybe not exactly a little bit nicer, but could maybe be allied with the doctor. But then she just double crosses her. Like it felt so right. Like because they're, I mean, they're so alien. They're probably the most alien Doctor Who aliens in a strange sort of way because we know so little about their culture, you know, what they do, how their bodies work, even. Like they're so not human or mammal or whatever it kind of makes sense that they'd be cold they are literally they literally have hearts of stone and i thought that was such a kind of good moment when the doctor kind of i kind of realized slightly before you know the doctor realized it, i think we all did but the, you know the aliens had corralled her it's very clever all her you know the people she was with had all gradually been chipped away from her she'd been sent into this place surrounded by angels you know then she gets turned into a weeping angel. So she gets frozen in carbonite, like Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, essentially.
1: No. Such a good, such a good cliffhanger. I think, um, the you know, the best of the series, which has had some really strong yeah. um, cliffhangers, and actually, I think if you're a kid watching that quite scary like if you know watching the doctor become an angel i think that's one of those you can imagine you know in 20 years time that being one of one of, one of those uh moments that, that kids look back on and go oh that's yeah, you know, scarred me for life in, in in a good and fun way um so you know love the cliffhanger and i think you're right about the angels i they've almost got a malicious edge to them that there's that reference to them yeah they like to leave witnesses um to their you know to mm. their actions
0: one thing I found quite interesting was the idea of them working for the division, which I accepted watching the episode. But then later on, I was like, "They work for the division." I was like, "How do they get paid? Like, <laughs> how would you pay a weeping angel? Like, what's their What's what's the reason that they would be, like be employed?
1: And, and how do you negotiate that deal as well? Like, they're, they're not big on the back and forth."
0: Yeah. Maybe do it by letter or something. I mean, <laughs>
1: yeah. like,
0: do they write letters? I don't know. Like, it, it, if you think about it, it doesn't quite make sense. But, you know, I, you know, maybe they, pay, maybe they really like vintage Pokemon cards. We just don't know. You know what I mean? Maybe that's, maybe that's the real thing for the Weeping Angels. And they don't like to show off about it because it kind of undercuts their whole menace. Mm, but, sure. yeah, they're actually just massive nerds. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a really effective episode, like, in so many ways. I think it's really pacey as well. Like you kind of, the, like I said, the angels are kind of relentless. It doesn't really let up the entire time you're watching it, and I think that kind of pulls you through. Mm. Similar to like some of the earlier episodes in the series, you, it's just kind of constant like action and stuff happening.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's a longer one as well. It's it's an hour long, but mm. it, it didn't it didn't it certainly didn't feel o- overly long. I will say the one thing I wasn't, you know, you touched on it earlier. I think the Yaz and Dan scenes um, are incorporated really well. I think the the kind of the flux of it, all, or at least the division of it all is incorporated really well. It kind of fits in with that end twist with the Weeping Angels. I, the only thing I wasn't 100% sort of sold on, maybe, was incorporating the scenes with, with Belle and Blake Harrison's character, mm. Anazira. Not that there was anything wrong with those scenes, but they when it first initially cut away from the spooky abandoned village to far flung space and back with bell i was a bit like ah, that kind of cuts cuts through the tension a little bit do you know what i mean it kind mm. of um, interrupts the mood and the atmosphere so nothing wrong with those scenes but for me it did it did dissipate the kind of the the spookiness and the atmosphere a little bit when you when you go like from this kind of folk horror to full, full-blown full sci-fi in outer space. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, in of themselves, I like the bell scenes yeah.
0: because you see a bit more of her as a person and kind of what's going on out in the world. Um, but yeah, I think it was really epitomised by the post-credits scene or, or mid-credits scene, uh, which is a bit unusual for Doctor Who, um, which was basically, you know... Um, It ends with the Doctor turning into a Weeping angel, you know, very spooky, you know, scary. And then it goes straight to the credits. It's like, ooh. And then a couple of seconds in, it's like, you know, distortion. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, here's another thing. And then it cuts to, like, Vinda's heartwarming, you know, answer phone message. Yeah. Bye. And then it goes back (laughs) to the credits. And it was a bit like, clearly, you could not work out where to fit this scene in. Because you need to have it in the episode. But also, you really want to end on the Doctor, Mm. you know... So it kind of reminded me of um, how in Black Panther there's like a very important story scene that they stick in the credits because basically they wanted to end on a specific other scene. Yeah, and it doesn't like fit because else. It was a nice moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, and again, I quite like the Bell and Vinder scene. I mean, I I don't get if she you know forgot to say the coordinates, but had time to kind of leave a very long pause for him to like respond. I don't know why she couldn't have written it down. And on a rock or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't record it. Or, or giving it to the guy. Give it to Blake left, Harrison's character. character.
1: Yeah, whose name I'm not even going to pronounce. And he was pretty pronounce. annoyed at
0: her, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, Namaka. Yeah. It was Namaka, there I think. You
1: go. He, yeah, he wasn't in the, um, in the best mood at, at the time, but he, you know, he, he figured yeah. it out. He came around.
0: But yeah, um, I, I, again, I liked it. I kind of liked Vinda's response to it was just sort of laughter, and then he's like, positive, yeah, I'm going to find you. But yeah, I was just a bit like... <laughs> It felt like clearly they had these scenes and they needed to kind of address them and put them in. But as you say, it kind of took away from uh, the main action. And I think, you know, this is a thing we haven't had so much of the series because it's so serialized. As I say, I think this is probably the most standalone episode in the... It doesn't, as I say, even involve Swarm and Azure much, apart from Azure's in Bell's stuff. Like the threat that the Doctor and Co face are weeping angels which are separate from you know the main thing and it turns out they're from the division which isn't you know swarm and azure in fact presumably they're kind of pitted up against them based on last time we saw them so the division are kind of a new player in this series in a way like we've sort of seen them on the edges and they've been talked about a lot but they haven't actually entered the game themselves so it does stand alone quite well so then to kind of keep cutting back to like whatever bell's up to is quite like yeah as you say it's a little bit a little, a little, jarring. little bit extra. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, the thing is as well, I like the scenes. I like Thaddeus Graham a lot and I like Jacob Anderson. Same. And, you know, I'm. I, it seems like next week's episode we're going to be picking up with that sort of stuff a bit more. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I believe the Doctor will be a stone angel for the entire episode.
1: Um, although, <laughs> but you know. Although, I think I'm right in saying that the Doctor is not in the next time trailer other than a quick shot of her as the angel. So they, yeah. they've they they've been listening, Hugh. They have, they have committed to that. That's the, true. Look, we know the Doctor isn't going to remain a stone angel, but they've committed to the possibility that she might be which is what we appreciate yeah
0: i mean to be fair they could do a dr light episode they could focus you know they're doing survivors of the flux which seems to be a combination of it's an episode that's written to encompass various storylines that can include people on earth who survived the flux because of the lupari shield you know people in space who are surviving it by sort of flying around and you know whatever so yeah maybe dan and Yaz who are surviving the flux by being in a different time period um so yeah that is kind of possible it would be kind of possible to not have the doctor in that episode but i'd be surprised if you know what i mean um but yeah no i think It's a funny episode, this, because there's just a lot of good in it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, there is a part of me that's like, you know, would there have been a version of this where it was more standalone and involved the people of the village a bit more, but would have maybe been even better? I don't know, because I did really like this, and I feel like that twist is partly so so effective, and you wouldn't really have that without the wider story. No. Um, But I also do feel like it's a shame we didn't get to know more about, like, the people in the village and I wasn't quite sure how it lined up with everyone in the village disappears on this night. You know, that didn't really happen. Yeah. So
1: no, I I was, I wasn't entirely sure on that. I think you're right in that this episode clearly has like the fingerprints of the, um, the abandoned version of series 13, the pre COVID Mm. version of series 13 on it. Because you, you know, if, if you watched, um, haunting of Villa Diodati, you, and then you'd probably think, well, let's get Maxine back to write a a weeping angels episode like that. That seems like a, a no brainer. Right. Um, and then, then they had to incorporate all the flux of it, but I think apart from what we talked about where the bell scenes are slightly jarring, the, the way in which the division is incorporated actually benefits the episode. I mean, Obviously, we don't know what it would have been like originally, but it does kind of benefit the episode. I think the division stuff um, plays really nicely into the twist. And also, I think it raises this interesting question of, uh, what is the division now? Where are the division from? Um, are they? Are, is the division still active? Sort of now in air quotes in the Doctor's timeline. Mm. Um, yeah. What even is now to a time traveler? Or or is this the division from sort of fugitive Doctor era that have time travelled into? You know. So it's it, it raises a lot of interesting questions as well. Definitely, I do like as well that you know because
0: the Angels have won. That's quite interesting because it kind of preserves that menace Mm. because that is the issue when you bring back monsters over and over again but doctor beats them over and over again is like you know, the Daleks are a bit harder to find scary, as we've said before, because they just, that, I mean, that one episode in, um, you know, Journey's End, where they just sort of push them around and go, whoa, you know, that kind of ruins the Daleks a bit. Um, Whereas the Weeping Angels in this, they never stop being scary. And, Mm. you know, it's not like Blink, where they get tricked into looking at each other. It's like, they win. Yeah, They totally win. They dominate. Like, there's never a moment where they're not winning. No, I I think you refer to it as
1: the Empire Strikes
0: Back of Doctor Who, which is spot on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's that all is lost moment at the end. Also, the doctor, as I said, is frozen in carbonite yeah. by bounty hunters, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. And, um, yeah. So she'll be on the wall of Jabba's palace next week. But, um, but yeah, no, I love that kind of all is lost moment. Um, obviously, you know, Empire Strikes Back is like, one of the best sci-fi things ever made. So I'm not necessarily saying it's, like, on the same, like, scale. But, um yeah, it's definitely got that kind of vibe to it. I also really like, you know, in the Next Time trailer, we have a hint of what happens to Danny Yaz. It seems like they're stuck in the 1900s for about three years. yeah, Um, Which is interesting. Uh, it looks like Jericho obviously was with them, and he's in the cast list for that episode. So that would imply he kind of was with them. So the idea of, you know, poor old Dan's only had, a, like, a weekend of time travel, and then he's stuck for three years well, in 1900. I, I mean, that's I, rubbish.
1: I did think, like, I bet i bet later on we'll get a scene where dan is like you know traveling with you doctor it's been amazing and it's like well actually you um you went to the crimean war for about five minutes then immediately just went back to to modern day liverpool um and and then then your girlfriend was kidnapped yeah.
0: uh <laughs> and then you saw then you were sent back in time uh, more yeah, and, and then, then had to work as a plasterer for three yeah, days yeah,
1: yeah well no exactly then you well then you were on the planet time but then actually just went back to liverpool again just in a slightly w- strange version of liverpool and then yeah then you ended up stranded in a village for three years um but then he'll be saying oh my time with the doctor was like nothing else such an incredible <laughs> journey i had you know he will and it's like it sounds pretty awful to be honest to be honest dan yeah i am
0: interested i mean i was trying to work out if um the jodie whittaker doctor and and mandip gill's character yaz have been traveling in time near to that period, and they could just like, and Yaz could just like find her, and then say, "Can you give us a lift home? Don't tell the other Yaz." But I don't think they actually have. I think I think it was always before, or quite a bit after. They like, could wait till like the 1950s, but that's probably about as far as they'd get, right? I don't think it quite. That's all. That's always my thing.
1: Well, that was always the question with Amy and Rory as well, right? Is like could the Doctor yeah. not just go back in time and collect them after a bit, and and a, and, a, and a, I, I, it's I don't know, it's time locked or something. There's a reason why that can't happen.
0: Yeah, but you know, the, but but when the Doctor goes to like 19. 19- you know, 39 a few years later, in a different country, it would have been impossible for Abe and Roy to get a, like a boat. <laughs> no, yeah, it's just, just it, you know, it's just rules. rules. It's just time rules. Uh you can get a bit bogged down. Um, we should say a little bit about uh, about the next episode before we move on to controversial question. Um a big moment in the next time trailer which slightly took me by surprise. Uh Kate Stewart or Kate Lethbridge Stewart is back.
1: That's a yep. bit random. Just just slip that in there. No biggie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, And obviously she's there with, bizarrely, with the Great Serpent, aka, uh, he's called Prentice in this episode as well, uh, Craig Parkinson's character, who seems to be on Earth, uh, kind of doing earthy things. So I I was wondering whether maybe, you know, there's a thing where he came to Earth because it's like one of the last planets still standing after the flux, and maybe he's sort of doing his sneaky politics thing there. And maybe he's even, you know, John Simm-style technically been there for a while Mm. and you know maybe that's why unit was disbanded who knows um oh i like that but yeah i'm yeah, maybe that works. I mean, he's standing there with the TARDIS and he's sort of saying like, ah, you pathetic Earthlings. <laughs> you know? So I think presumably he's, it, it certainly looks like he's talking to Kate in that scene, although, you know, it could be clever editing. But yeah, I mean, Gemma Redgrave coming back, it feels like she hasn't been gone long at all, but I looked it up, but actually in the main series, she's not been in it since about 2015. Uh, so it's been actually a bit of a while. Obviously she's usually accompanied by Osgood, uh, Ingrid Oliver's character. So, you know, that'd be cool to get them involved. They'd be three doctors in a row then. The pair of them. Um, But yeah, I I thought it was quite cool. I mean, we'd sort of heard rumours that Unit was going to maybe come back this series because some people had seen like a Unit logo Mm. during filming or something. Um, But this seems like at least confirmation that, you know, it's going to be acknowledged because you can't have Kate without having some acknowledgement of Unit, even if it's that Unit isn't there anymore, right?
1: No, but I like your idea that um, it might have been that uh, the the Grand Serpent was sort of... uh, Placed within within Earth's history, and he was responsible for a disbanding UNIT. And it's actually all been a long game. And Chris Chibnall didn't just shut down UNIT on a whim. It's all been building. It's all been building to something. It's oh the, yeah, it was totally planned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> he saw the backlash and changed his mind. No, it was all. It was all. Who who knows? It, it was. It may have all been one part of one uh, Chibnall master plan. But I'm very excited to see UNIT yeah. back, if indeed they are back.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm actually pretty psyched. Uh, yeah, or at least Kate back. Yeah. That will be cool. But yeah, we'll see that next week. Uh, obviously, we'll be doing our review and things like that uh, after next week's episode. But before we go, uh, we've got time for one last section, which is, as ever, controversial question of the week for old jingle. Controversial question of the week. Great stuff. So, yeah, basically, uh, this week, We, as ever, are asking the tough questions uh, about Doctor Who, Uh, and we were inspired uh, for this episode by rumours that uh, the Jodie Whittaker TARDIS set has been struck, um, that are going around on the internet, basically that they've taken the uh, TARDIS down because, you know, they're finished with filming. Jodie Whittaker's wrapped. Uh, And we were wondering, you know, what is the best and what is the worst TARDIS? There've been a lot of different TARDIS interiors over the years. Um, Quite a few in the modern series, a load in the classic series and in the film as well, of course. Everyone has their favorites. Everyone has that one they absolutely hate. So we thought, you know, quickly enough, We'll just say because I'm interested, Morgan. Actually, I kind of know what you said because you were talking about this on Twitter. But um, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to say, so I'll let you talk first, and then I I feel like I might change my mind during the sentence.
1: Well, this well, this was part inspired by as you said um, them them striking the the, the TARDIS set, but also part inspired by discussion of this topic on on Twitter, where um, someone said. That the uh, the TV movie TARDIS, the Paul McGann TARDIS interior was, I think they said something along the lines of it's a travesty against TARDIS interiors, and I love that TARDIS interior. It's one of my one of my favourites. I don't know if it's like my number one favourite, but I really like the kind of Jules Verniness of it. I, I it really you know it's it's probably one of the first ones I saw as a kid, so that helps. Um, but for me, um, I like the idea that. You know, beyond those tar- those those police box doors, it's not just a room. I mean, it's like oh, it's 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 a mm. room that's slightly bigger than a, the inside of a police box. I like that it is a whole world in there, and it's almost like a you know like a Narnia experience. Um, and that that um, TV movie *Tardis* has that for me. It feels like huge and expansive just because it was a, a bigger set, um, and I think it's very much kind of the precursor to uh, the the new series. Um, t- you know, TARDIS interiors, particularly with the console and the way it kind of joins up to the ceiling, and I don't think you would have the kind of the modern designs without that TARDIS. And I love the cut, co- the kind of color scheme, the blues, and mm. so I really, actually, you know, I'm, that's um, in defence of the TV movie TARDIS. I really like that one. Um, obviously, I really like the kind of the original, um, the original design, the kind of very cl- uh, clear cut colors, and the you know the white. Um, uh, and I also, and I know this is a favourite of yours as well. I, I love the the, the Michael Pickwood um, mm. TARDIS interior, particularly um, the Peter Capaldi variant when they sort of tweaked it slightly. That it was sort of Matt's second TARDIS interior, Matt Smith's, and then it, they tweaked it slightly and it became a bit more kind of. I don't know, they kind of added some, like, extra details and some books and a blackboard and stuff, and it just felt more more um, in spirit with Capaldi's Doctor. So those are a few of my favourites anyway. And I'll I'll have a, I'll throw to you, and then I'll think about my least favourite.
0: So, yeah, um, the Michael Pickwood one's actually an interesting example because I really didn't like it when it first came in. Um, like, I resented it because I felt like it was very simple and very sort of dingy mm. to start off with. Like, I was sort of a bit like... I think because... And, you know, I know that the first Matt Smith TARDIS is divisive. At the time, I quite liked it. I've kind of gone off it a bit over the years. But the thing I did really like about it is the size. Like, it's so big. And it was one of the best TARDISes, I think, for shooting in. Maybe it wasn't easy to shoot in, I don't know. But it was one of the, it felt the most dynamic to be in there because it had all these different levels. Like it looked really cool and expensive on screen and it had these great levels. And then the the first Picquo TARDIS felt quite like small by comparison and kind of closed in. But when Peter Capaldi kind of came in and kind of softened it a bit, it kind Mm. of grew on me. And then actually I think going on it, because you and I went on that TARDIS at the same time, I think we were looking at some photos the other day. Um, it's probably the TARDIS that is most the exact same in person as it is on screen mm. that I've seen. Cause I've been on the Jodie one a couple of times and that one is um, quite fun too, but it's like you can see the walls, if you know what I mean. Like it doesn't go on forever in real life. Whereas the Piccolo TARDIS, it was like 360. It looks exactly like yeah. it does on TV, you know. And especially once they put all that stuff in, you know, like the amps lying there and the guitar. I think the thing I didn't like about it is I felt it was a bit too, you know, maybe, you know, they did run out of money famously. I did feel like it was a bit empty to start mm. off with. And then once it started to get populated with like bits and bobs, it felt more right to me.
1: Um, I seem to remember as well. Yeah, it seems, I seem to sorry. remember as well that the 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 entrance to the, the, the interior set the kind of the 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 out the outside of it had police box doors so if Mm. you just do that now as well yeah so if you just kind of like you know put, you know, people listening to this can't see, but if you put your hands up and just sort of block out the outside and just, you know, look at purely the police box doors and then walk through into as you say, this 360 set, it's as close as you'll ever get to actually walking into the real TARDIS, which, yes, I did There's that. A little insight into, into,
0: into Morgan there, I think because <laughs> that isn't something that I considered. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I like that one a lot. Um, I actually think it's funny that people were slagging off a TV movie one because I thought that was universally quite popular mm. from what, I think loads of people say that's their favourite.
1: I think what some people say is It's a bit too domestic in the sense of like I think Mm. a lot of people like the console, um, but then after that it just feels like someone's living room.
0: I mean, it is just a room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's a library that they've put a thing in the middle.
1: Exactly, exactly. Which which I get, but yeah, I quite like the kind. You've got like the kind of pillars and stuff and the big doors and um, I I think and I kind of like the fact that it's kind of got like a you know like a a rocking chair or whatever (laughs) in it. Um, As I say, it kind of it feels. It feels more like the Doctor to me. There's something, you know, I don't. It's it kind of it, it it works. Actually, I think I think you've touched on an interesting point in that kind of the TARDIS interior needs to reflect the Doctor. So hmm. kind of having that kind of bold white, um, quite harsh. Tardis interior for for like William Hartnell's Doctor initially works really well. So when in the first episode ever, when Barbara rushes in and it's just this like burst of white, and it's such a contrast to the dingy junkyard they were in, it works so well. Um, but then I, I yeah I think you need, kind of need to adapt it in this. You know the the Pickwo Tardis changed for Peter for Peter Capaldi, and actually I think. The later Doctor, say, like, the, sev- the, the the older Seventh Doctor, it wouldn't have worked for him to be in this, like, bright white, very sci-fi space. He kind of needs that kind of, mm. you know, al- almost a slightly comfier um, living room feel to his TARDIS interior.
0: Definitely. We should say as well a few uh, honourable mentions for, you know, things like, I think Joe Martin's TARDIS uh, yeah. is quite cool that one's really nice. I hope we see more of that um, in, you know, the next few episodes or in the specials. We don't know if we will, but that was presumably quite a quick job, but they did a really, really nice job on it. I thought it was kind of a riff on obviously um, the the sort of clean, the the, the sort of perfectly clean default TARDIS Mm. that we'd seen a few years before in Peter Capaldi's episodes. Uh, But yeah, I just thought it was kind of a i really when i first saw it i was like oh it's just like that and then when you actually like look at it it's really different like it definitely is its own design um i thought that was very simple but very cool i know a lot of fans like that i'm sort of struggling to think of what my least favorite is because i think they're all good in different ways and maybe that's an awful cop-out uh and i you know everyone's gonna say oh it's obviously this like because people say the matt smith first one was like the worst and i i mean i think the one thing about it is i think it's not uh, it's kind of just they've t- tried to do the same thing as David Tennant's TARDIS but a bit different mm. but I kind of I liked it at the time yeah like, I really struggled to sort do of you know, get I, past that I think, so. I
1: think you're right in that I loved it at the time I think because I love that era so much and you know you, you and I both yeah. love that kind of particularly series five and it's such a such an exciting time for Doctor Who and kind of having Matt as the doctor and it just it you kind of love it at the time and I went on that set as well and like it it, at the time, it was so exciting to step onto that set. But then, you know, looking it, now, you can kind of look at it with a bit of distance, a bit of context. It's very orange. It's very orange, and I think, yeah. and I think it's not necessarily that I, that I like, don't like that set. I just think I prefer, say, the 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 Piquo Tardis or um, the the initial kind of uh, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant Tardis, or the kind of the 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 various kind of different version or the TV movie TARDIS or the various different versions of that kind of clean white look that you have more, more or less from sort of 1963 to 1989.
0: Yeah. And the thing is with the classic series TARDIS as well, it's tricky because like they're obviously the blueprint. They are like where it starts from and they look great, but also, you know, sometimes they look a little bit dated and it's sort of Mm -hmm. weird to compare the two in terms of like, I think you can admire the kind of concept of them more than like sometimes if you sat them next to each other, you'd be like, well, obviously this one's just, they spent more money on this one. Yeah. (laughs) So it does look like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying it looks better, but like, it's just kind of, it's not quite fair to compare the two, which is why I think when they remade kind of the classic version for Joe Martin and, you know, for the last stage of Peter Capaldi, you really kind of can appreciate the idea behind it. um, Compared to what it's evolved to, you could kind of see that, that process. And that was really interesting. I will say quickly as well. um, I know the Jodie Whittaker guitarist gets quite a lot of stick uh the crystal one um it seems i always have a soft spot for it because i it was the i went on set for that before it had been revealed um so i was like i mean not to sort of be like oh i'm so great i'm pretty <laughs> sure i was one of the first people to go on it who weren't you know making the show um and it was really funny because i went on set and i was like they it took a while for them to work out how to make it look orange in real life um because they hadn't quite got the lights right so mm. they did it in post so when i went in all the crystals were, like, purple or pink. Mm. And I was like, oh, she's got a pink TARDIS. And they were like, it's not pink. (laughs) Because, obviously, if if it's the first female Doctor, having a pink TARDIS would not have been great. Um, But, yeah, and I'm glad that they managed to get it to a point where, like... Because then when you go there in person, um, as I think... did you Have you been on that one in person? I, no, I haven't uh, been
1: on the Jodie Tardis, no.
0: Yeah, well, they, they've now got it so it is, like, mm. how it looks on screen. And it looks awesome. Like, the, the colour of those crystals is really cool. Mm. I really like that they added that bit on the top in her second series that <laughs> yeah. hangs down the second crystal and the stairs. And I've been enjoying this series of them moving the door around and stuff. Like, I think that's actually quite fun. Yeah, no, I um, no, It's agree. a way of kind of evolving it along but I, I do think it's probably one of the TARDIS's that is the worst in terms of shooting inside it like it just doesn't seem like there's many places for the cast to go they just kind of have to stand around the edges yeah. like it doesn't quite have the the free flow of movement that you saw in some of the others I
1: think yeah no I think you're right I think it'll be interesting as well now you know as we're saying that set has been has been struck it'll be interesting to see what they do next and I wonder you know we've been talking about comparing the classic series look to the more modern interiors could you do something that is more reminiscent of the old style that kind of clean white mm. look but then of the scale of new series where you have the kind of the space and and maybe the kind of um the levels and i do I, something, something like that could be interesting
0: I think the, the middle ground you're describing there is probably like the the Michael Pickwode, Pierre Capaldi, Matt Smith TARDIS in terms of like, it was like the old series models in that it had this kind of simplicity and mm. technology to it rather than seeming organic. But also it had a kind of aesthetic, you know, like it mm. w- it was clearly like had a modern sensibility and like uh, a mood, if you know what I mean, beyond sci-fi mood like it was sort of like a library almost Mm. but yeah i think i'd be really interested to see you know presumably they're doing a new tardis for this new era with russell T davis and whoever the next doctor is and that's always exciting you know i think it will be cool to see this new tardis and we can all argue about that one add it to our lists uh, and then we'll do this exact thing again in like a year and just you know maybe all our opinions will have changed again (laughs) um But that's pretty much all we've got time for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's review of Village of the Angels and all the other stuff in the podcast. Uh, You can listen to this, or you're already listening to it, but you can listen to other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with our reaction to Survivors of the Flux. Um, I have a bit of a cold at the moment, so I consider myself uh, currently going through the Flux. So hopefully I'll be a survivor as well. (laughs) Um, Until next time. Uh, I've been Hugh I've been Morgan Uh, and actually you know what I might just just keep not blinking for a bit longer just to be on the safe side Uh, thanks for listening and goodbye thanks for listening to our Doctor Who podcast make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode and for more brilliant Doctor Who content check out radiotimes.com